Hey, this morning we are having a conversation. This is not kind of your typical sermon presentation. It's a conversation. But if you've been here with us, we have been teaching this passage, this passage of scripture between John 13 and John 17 that I have said multiple times, I say it again just to emphasize, I think it's one of the most important passages of scripture, of all, of all scripture. It is Jesus prior to, on his way to the cross, it is Jesus talking to his followers, his disciples, Clark, helping them realize what he has been doing with them all this time in his ministry, helping them see the way he has been loving them because of who they are to him, and then inviting them into the process more tangibly than he's done that to imitate him and to live the fullness that comes from his power in them. And he starts talking about it in John 13, although he doesn't use the word that he's talking about until John 15. And that word is abide. And so when, when we think about the Christian life, there's all these details and there's all these questions that you have and there's all these places in your Christian life where you, or things you're running into, walls that you hit, things that you struggle with. And, and we, we, we come and we ask people for help a lot of times. How do I get past this particular thing? How do I deal with this particular thing? And as people who, by the grace of God, has put in the position to be, to be folks who, who people come to when they have those questions, Clark, you and I both, our conviction is, is steadfast in that our primary counseling tool, our primary counseling advice, our primary counseling endeavor is to lead them to Jesus. It is to call them into abiding with Jesus because we don't have the ability to fix their problems. We don't have the ability to navigate them through the turmoil and the suffering that they're going through. We don't have the ability to help them see clearly what is obedience and what is disobedience. We only have the ability to speak the truth and teach them or in, and guide them to the feet of Jesus, which is where they're going to find fullness. Yeah. And it's the only place it can be had. And so in the midst of that conversation, I, today's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day for those of you who are fathers. Um, and I started talking to Clark months ago about coming and, and, being, and being with me on Father's Day. And it kind of manifested into this. The more we talked and the more I said, here's the series that we've been in and, and here's what we're doing. And uh, when you start talking to Clark about scripture, he, he, he gets excited and, uh, and, and then he just, he just kind of goes. And so, and so I thought, you know, it would be really neat if we just had kind of a conversational environment about this reality of abiding and the things that you're telling me, Clark, that, that, that speaks to you about this aspect. Can you come with me and let's just have a conversation about that. And then toward the end, can we draw that down a little bit to, to, to specify it, to apply it to fatherhood? Um, because man, does it apply uh, to fatherhood. And so that's what we're going to do today, Clark, is just have this conversation. And I'm primarily the setup guy. You'll see that as we get going. Uh, and I'm the guy that's going to attempt to keep us on track. And if I'm the guy that's going to attempt to keep us on track, we are in trouble. That's what that means. 
that is not the role that I do well. Uh, but um, Clark, we, we're talking about abiding and we're talking about the reality of abiding in this passage of scripture. And, and Jesus uses this analogy of the vine and the branches. And when we started talking about that, you just started going, there are so many things that speak to us in that analogy. Would you start to share some of that with us? You know, when I have a chance to sit in the counseling room uh, with couples working on their marriage or dealing with family issues or individual issues, um, at the very core, if the individual in front of me knows Jesus, and has Jesus in them, uh, there is a power that is there that is essential for the transformation of their lives. And sometimes as believers, we, we miss the reality of the power that's in us. And when I sit with folks who in their own struggle and their own effort try to transform their lives and try to, to change if they don't understand the power that's in them to do the change work in them and through them, there's a lot of futility. And so as we were talking about John 15, if there was ever a passage of scripture, I would just, I'm thrilled to dialogue around it. It's, it's the vine and the branch. And I think about in Jesus' day, I think about as he walked with his disciples, he think about the vineyards that were abundant in Jesus' day. And we can imagine the conversations that he would have as he, you know, there are some vineyards that are just loaded with lush green leaves and then others, but, but not bearing much fruit. We're gonna talk about that. And there's, we can look prosperous, but, but not, not be bearing the fruit that God calls us to bear. And then you have other vineyards that are abundant in fruit production and great production. And so I, I think about what Jesus, when he says in, in John 15, I am the vine, my father is the gardener. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. It's really powerful to think about the fruit into the branch. Oftentimes as believers, we think about, we look at, you know, sort of, where are we in our walk with Jesus and what does it look like? And, and we look at the fruit end of the branch and what we miss is that the, the reality is, is we want to be focused on the abiding end of the branch because it's, it, it's Christ in us who produces the fruit. It's not us producing the fruit. It's he produces the fruit and we just bear the fruit on the end of our branch. And it's becoming more intimately acquainted with his presence, his power and his life in us. So I, I think that what I get excited about from the, to thinking about this, if we borrow from the, the science and study of great production, it's called viticulture. And if you know anything about viticulture, you are going to learn very quickly that at the very core of the vine, at the very core is a conduit system that's a one-way, it's a, it's a one-day way conduit. Uh, there are two transport systems in the grapevine, but the first one I think we want to talk about oh, yeah. is the very core of it all. And what happens, it's called the xylem, and what happens, it's, it sucks the, it transports the water and the minerals from the root, and it gives life to the whole plant, it gives life to the whole vine, to the branches, to the leaves. 
And what happens, it, it takes that, it's based on water pressure. There's continual water pressure that, that hits the nubs of those small little grape berries and the continual pressure of that water, it, it fills those grapes up to fullness. If the branch is severed at all, if that tube is severed, it loses its water pressure. It can't, the, the branch can't be upright and it won't create full grapes, right? And so there's this amazing thing about abiding because it's his life and love through us. That's what we're going to focus on today, the power of resurrection life. He died for us. He redeemed us. He set us free from our, our sins so we can be restored and reconciled to God through Jesus. Resurrection life is so powerful because it's his life that, that produces the fruit in us. And I think about that, that passage in, um, you might want to share that here, the passage in Ephesians chapter 3. Yeah, the Ephesians passage says, according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I failed to introduce you properly as I did the first service, but I think one of the things that you, you, you the introduction why this matters so much is that Clark is on staff with Fellowship Church and he's at the, the main campus, he's in the counseling center at the main campus usually. Right now you're displaced a little bit. Uh, and, but while they're having some construction there, but he, he is in the, uh, he's in the marriage and family counseling there, but he's done a lot of individual counseling over the years. He's a counselor by trade and by degree and by licensure. He, he, this is what he does with his life. He sees people come in and he, and he attempts, this is what you're after, isn't it, yes. Clark? I mean, every time you see somebody come into your office, for whatever reason, this is what you are trying to get them to understand. To understand that their body, their life is a conduit, not for their own, their own making, their own design. They're not the author of their own life. There is one who has authored their life, who has prepared in advance the good work they, he wants them to do, the one who brought them from death to life, the one who has infused fullness in them, and it's really helping people understand that, that you, your body is a temple of the Spirit of God. First Corinthians 6 tells us that. And that void, there's a God-shaped void that C.S. Lewis talks about. I think we're all aware of that there's that void that's there. And in our flesh, we, we, wanna, we don't like it. Sometimes we feel weak. Sometimes we feel shame. Sometimes it's, it, there's a hunger for something. And oftentimes we fill it up with the wrong thing. Our flesh desires, it, it desires something that seems, that seems like it's going to satisfy and it leads to death. You know, we were talking in the, the first time we did this, and this, this hit me. It's not something I said previously uh, in our conversations, but it really hit me as you were talking. When people come to you specifically, there is a, there is a they're kind of at a breaking point. They're, they've experienced some pain and wound and, and, and wounding and, and harm in some form or fashion where they recognize I need some, I need help. Yes. 
But oftentimes when we get to the place that what gets us to the place of that extreme is that that's not, when they come see you, that's not the first time they've hit a wall. That's not the first time they've experienced brokenness. This is, by the time they get to that level, this brokenness and wounding has been going on a lot. And whether that's an external force, a force that's coming on them or it's something they're creating themselves, it is this aspect, I think, that it, then in just about everybody I see, you can, it doesn't take long to find the disconnect between them and the root system. There, there is this some version, some version somewhere, this disconnect. It's like they've lost the connection and the power of the vine. Yeah. And it's like their branches withered. I, I think about Ephesians chapter four where the, the apostle Paul says, don't live like the, the heathens do in the futility of their thinking due to the hardening of their hearts. You know, our hearts when they're tender and the spirit of God works and we're, we're in sync with who he is and that his love, it, it's just, it's, it's, you think about grace, it's a one-way street. It, grace is a gift that's given to us. We can't earn it. And that love that just flows through us and the power of resurrection life that flows through us that keeps us upright and keeps infusing itself to, till we reach a place of fullness. As the scripture says, yeah. know the length, breadth, depth, height of his love. When you know this love that surpasses knowledge, it's then that you're filled with the yeah. fullness of God. But what we do, what Paul is talking about Ephesians 4 is sensuality, there's something in our flesh that says this void is to be filled up with something other than Jesus. And that when you indulge in sensuality, he warns us, you will lose your sensitivity. Mm. And you will end up indulging in every kind of depravity with a continual lust for more. But the flesh doesn't, I mean, isn't that what we do, Clark? I mean, the, we get wounded or we get hurt or we get pressed somehow. And, 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 in order to solve that, the way that we feel by that pressing, we oftentimes press into things that would be defined by our sensuality. We come up with our own definitions about what we need to do and how we need to do it to solve the hurt or the wounding that's going on inside of us. Yes. And, and really what we're doing is we are furthering the disconnect. We are not looking to the source of life for life. We start to look for life in other places and therefore wound breeds wound breeds wound. Yes, it does. And so I think about, and come back to Ephesians 4 in a minute, but I think about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, when you were dead in your transgressions and sins, like a dead branch before Jesus comes, You can't bear fruit. You're just a dead branch. He raised you up and he seated you in heavenly places with Christ. He resurrects you and puts you into the the vine and that empty void, that space starts to become infused with his love. But oftentimes what happens is we go back to the pre-Jesus experience where we're trying to fill that, that hollow space up with maybe what our flesh was conditioned to be filled up with before Jesus. And so oftentimes what we want to do is we want to help people understand what it means in the rest of Ephesians 4 to put off the old man corrupted by deceitful desires and be made new in the attitude of your mind. 
and put on the new man created, created to be like Jesus in true righteousness and holiness. In order to get from you know, your former way of life when you were a dead branch, sometimes we have to have our minds renewed first, be made new in the attitudes of your mind so we can actually see in a new way what's possible, the power that's in us, the things that Jesus, we can rely on his power and strength when we are weak. But that transformation in our mindset needs to happen because oftentimes our flesh is so practiced in going after idols and things that leave us empty and broken. You, you, it's the First John 1 and Ephesians 2 that you just mentioned. It's in him you are being built together into a dwelling place yes. of God. And if you walk in the light as he is in the light, then we fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus' son is cleansing us from all of that sin. And that brings up, that brings up the second transport system. Right. Because the first transport system is from the, it's at the core of the vine into the branch and it, it creates the water pressure that's, that in, infuses the berry into a full-size grape. But the second transport system is called the phloem. And the phloem takes, you think about the sun hitting the leaves of the grapevine, it's the photosynthesis that occurs there that generates glucose. It's the sweetness that then is transported to the sight of the grapes and it infuses the grapes with sweetness. If you've ever bit, tried to bite into a full-size grape that's hard and opaque, you can't see through it, it's, it's, it's bitter and sour. It's full, but it hasn't been infused with sweetness. And what happens when the Spirit of God infuses sweetness in our life, we go from being opaque where we in some ways hide to being opaque. Um, to being translucent. What happens, the glucose goes into the grape, the sweeter it is, the more translucent it is you can see into the grape. I think about intimacy with one another where we're transformed into his likeness and by his love and that the spirit of God's doing his work and transforming us and we're translucent. We, that intimacy, into me see, we see into one another. We see Jesus in each other. We encourage that in one another. And so the, the flow, we... we walk in the light, you stay in the light as he is in the light, and there's this fellowship that we have with one another. So we abide in his love, but that's the first part of it. The second part is learning to abide in the light, to learn to walk in the spirit, learn to stay in step. If he works in me because of his love and life to will and do his good pleasure, there is a choice function of me choosing to stay connected to the, and let the spirit of God do in me Ephesians 3.20, exceedingly abundantly, more than I can ask or imagine, his power will work in me. So it's, we learn to abide, we learn to, to love sets us free from shame, we don't have to hide. We learn to abide instead of hide in what happens, his life flows in us, and then we learn to, over time as we mature, to walk in the spirit and the light of, of Jesus, and the sweetness starts to infuse our life. You know, it's, uh, that doesn't have anything to do with the spiritual life though, Clark. What are you talking about? I mean, is that not a direct, I mean, you not see this direct correlation between uh, this vineyard and the spiritual life. And, and another thing that's really important about this process um, that you're going to, that you're going to share with us too, is in this, in the midst of these two conduits, there is this aspect that even when these two conduits are working properly yes. and they are, they are doing what's, what's supposed to be happening is happening the, the flow of the water and the moisture up into the grapes to, to make them mature and full. 
the, the photosynthesis that's happening through the leaves that's bringing the sweetness to the grape to, 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 to make it useful and good and full and pleasurable and those kind of things. There's another step to this that has to happen because that vine, even when things are happening the way it's supposed to happen, what's that vine going to do if this third step doesn't happen? And what is the third step? Well, it's interesting if we need to talk about the training and pruning. Exactly. Because a grapevine, the first two years of a grapevine's life, it doesn't bear fruit. And the first two years of a grapevine, it has to be vertically trained. The gardener, Jesus said, I'm the vine and my father's the gardener. We are vertically trained. The gardener comes along and what happens to a branch when it's growing? If you've ever seen a grapevine grow, it, it goes anywhere and everywhere. It's almost like sheep, right? There's another metaphor of we are like sheep. Sheep just wander everywhere until they learn the voice of the shepherd and, and stay with the flock. So one of the things that the gardener does is he has to comb out all the tangled, the shoots and tendrils that will grab anything and everything around it. And what happens, he has to comb those out and he has to train that branch to grow vertically for the first couple years before then he trains it to go horizontally where then the, ber the, the berries of, of the grape, the grapevine, the grape clusters can right. grow. That, that, uh, that training is, you know, we've mentioned Ephesians a lot here. We could have just taught the chapter, we could have just taught Ephesians 4 here, haven't yeah. we? But here's, here, that's the part that gets to us being able to produce like we're supposed to produce and experience what we're supposed to experience. It is this sanctification process, right? That training and pruning is the sanctification process. This is Ephesians 4. He gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building of the body of Christ, until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we no longer uh, be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from which the whole body, joined and held together by every joint in which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You, you also talked about, I wanna, I wanna talk about the product of the full grape, but before I do, right here, when you're talking about training that vine, yes. when that vine, before the vine gets trained, or even after it gets trained, it can droop and it could get into the soil and its leaves. So what the gardener does is the gardener, he walks through the vineyard with strips of cloth or string and he's looking for, because when branches grow, they grow down, they don't grow up, right? You think about how we're told in Hebrews 12 to learn to fix our eyes on Jesus because he's the author and perfecter of our faith. And what the father does, what the gardener does is he walks through the vineyard and he lifts up the branches and he starts tying them to the structure, to the trellis, to the wire, whatever it is 
But there's another thing that he does. He doesn't just have wire and string. He carries a bucket of water. And, and in many ways, our lives are like leaves. And when we're growing, what happens is they grow down into the dirt. They get coated with mud and dirt and dust. And what happens is a, a leaf, when our leaves are coated by the world, as it were, it's hard for photosynthesis to occur. It's hard for that sweetness to be produced and infused into the grapes. So what the gardener does is he ties up the branches. He also washes clean the leaves so that the leaves are clean, so that they can absorb the sunlight, so photosynthesis can occur, so that sweetness can be infused. So the photosynthesis can occur, so the sweetness can occur. Yes. So this cleansing leads to the sweetness process. It does. And Jesus is already. What does this bring to mind for you? Do you remember the conversation? Do you remember John 13? Do you remember the washing of the feet? Do you remember when Jesus says to Peter, I need to... I, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter goes, oh, no, you're not. And Jesus says, if I, this is Peter. So we're not questioning Peter's salvation, are we? <laughs> I don't think we should. Um, he is saying, Peter, you're already clean, but you need to be washed. There are parts of you that needs to be cleansed. You sang about it this morning. You probably missed it. Uh, two things I must confess. My worth and my unworthiness. See, this worth is where we get from Christ's work in us is where we get our worth. It's not anything that we do. It's that one-way system that you're talking about that we get from the roots and the, and the, the, the vine itself. It's God's grace that we are, have any kind of worth. But yet there's this, we, we are not completed. And so there are things about us that are not worthy of our worth. They don't fit. And so Jesus comes just like he does to Peter and he cleans his feet and he says, you, if, you, if I don't do this, you don't have any part with me. You don't have an abiding yes. with me. Your fullness and your sweetness is not gonna come unless you let me do this with you. So one of the things he does and, and is like, I think for us, are we going to let him do this in our life? Are we going to surrender to his pruning? Because that's the other thing that we read in John 15, that at the end of our branch, the metaphor is, pretty, is, is rich because there are nodes, and the gardener knows what nodes are primary fruit-bearing nodes and what nodes produce a lot of leaves but very little fruit. And I think about how lush and green we can look. We can look prosperous even in our religious performance, we can look prosperous, but where's the fruit? Where's the Jesus, right? And so the gardener knows to trim off of the branch those nodes that are not fruit-bearing so that we can bear much fruit. And then the growing season comes and he continually nurtures us and cleanses us and sanctifies us. And at the end of that growing season, what happens is our branches have grown but the gardener knows that there are seasons of dormancy in our life. There are seasons where we're just not as fruitful as others. And so one of the things that typically happens where the, gar the gardener in between January and March in that dormancy period is he, he trims back the end of the branch that, that looks more like dead wood. He trims our branch back so that we are again closer to Jesus. 
and that when he trims back our branch and he prunes us, he's not just pruning off the non-fruit-bearing nodes, but even in dormant season, he is cutting off some dead wood so that when life comes in the spring, that we are once again ready to be fruit-bearing. And I think that's pretty amazing, thinking it, about that. I mean, it's unbelievable. But that we are told in the analogy of the pruning, that's a, that's a hard process for us. But it's, in, it, it's, it's the place of struggle. James 1, right? Yes. Romans 5, that yes. you and I have referenced. About this, this idea that with trials and struggles are the very things that those are our prunings. Those are our prunings. And the very things that causes us to go back closer to Jesus and have a way or a vision forward that's even more fruitful than it was prior to the pruning. I think of James 1, verse 2 through 4, you just mentioned that is, brothers and sisters, consider a pure joy when you, when you encounter trials of various kinds. Knowing the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must complete its work so that you will become mature and complete, not lacking in any good thing. And when we look at Romans 5, 3 through 5, we're to rejoice in our suffering and persevere because out of that develops character and out of that comes hope. And the result of suffering is we know the love of God shed abroad in our heart by the Spirit of God. You know, the thing that pulls love, that pulls, if I can use the metaphor of the water and the minerals from the roots, which you think about being rooted and grounded in love and abounding in thanksgiving, right? If you think about being rooted and grounded in God and his love and that it's one way, what's the thing with the grapevine that pulls that water pressure to the extremity, to the leaves and to the grape buds? It's, it's the heat. It's the heat that hits the vine, that hits the plant. that pulls love through us. Yeah. And it's like, it, as we abide in him, it's the security of that connection. We learn to stay connected. We learn as life flows through us. It's like Isaiah 41, 10, fear not, I am with you. Don't be dismayed. I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. When you go through the, the water, it won't overcome you. When you go through the, the fire, you won't be burned. It's, it's in that suffering that his love is just, there's something in suffering where consider it pure joy because we get so much more richly acquainted with the life of Jesus in us in suffering. It's such, a, it's such an oxymoron. It is. And it's such, it's so hard that the reality is that a lot of times, like, that's what we need. It is what we, we need. need that so that we are to be who he has created in us to be. And yes. Clark, as it is my job to keep us going uh, and not let us keep wondering. Although we are in the second service, we could just go over about 45 <laughs> minutes and it'd be fine. I mean, kids would be great. Um, you know, speaking of you, 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 you have seen and talked with a lot of men over the years, and you see men, a lot of men who are husbands and fathers. Um, what does this mean for us? What are our tendencies? What, what are some tendencies of men that are devastating to their husbandry and their fatherhood? You know, How have I you seen about, that go awry? Uh, when I think about our culture, our culture 
especially the masculine culture, there are these, these core beliefs that govern so many men's lives. I should be strong, I shouldn't be weak. We're trained to be competitive, I should win, I, I shouldn't lose. And so often it's, it's that former way of life, it's the deceitful desires of the flesh, I gotta be strong and we take matters into our own hands when we, for instance, with our wife or our children, we feel powerlessness or impotent, we have to become omnipotent. We, we gotta win, we gotta be right. And God calls us as men to a new way of life, but our attitude, our way of thinking has to be transformed so we can see what's truly ours. In John 15, I think where, where Jesus is saying, abide in my love. Well, what does love look like? 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is, that he laid down his life for us, and so we must lay down our lives for one another. The old way is, I I gotta be loud and strong, and sometimes when there is shame, it triggers, actually, we gotta sort of power up and it can lead to a sense of pride where we have a hardened heart, we're not tuned into our children or wives' hearts. We gotta be right. And really God is calling us to a place of surrender. He's calling us to a place where we realize, I mean essentially I can't live fully the Christian life but Christ in me can. It's an exchanged life. It is his life in me that allows me to love and show mercy and show grace and be attuned and love. Uh, it, it's, it's him in me. But, but the, learning that process, a lot of times when I, I work with men, there's that void in them. And they don't understand that in that void when they sense weakness, that actually weakness is a pathway to intimacy with the Lord. That is not natural. It is so not natural. (laughs) In in 2 Corinthians 12, I'm thankful that the Apostle Paul, when he had a thorn in his flesh, that he lamented it. He called it a tormentor from Satan. He pled with God to remove it. But when, when God said to him, my grace is enough, it's sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Yeah. This light bulb comes on, all of a sudden Paul is saying, all the more gladly will I boast about my weakness so that his power would rest upon me. And so it's really the, the journey is, well, you think about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, meekness, self-control. You think about the sweetness of his Spirit infusing us in our culture Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, those are traditionally feminine traits. We don't really think about masculinity in terms of those, yeah. of those qualities, right? Yeah, right. And in, in the surrender process where, where Paul says in, in Ephesians chapter 5 to husbands, husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. See, I, I, you, you're hit. I mean, so what I see, what I know you see, what I experience. Yes. What I experience is when I start feeling insecure or when I start feeling less than. Hollow branch, I, yep. Well, I, I'm hollowed, right? There's a void in me. Yep. Or I start feeling pressed or, or like I'm not accomplishing what I need to accomplish or living or anything that's in me that's causing turmoil. I try to power up 
in other places to get some control, to feel like I'm doing, like I got to now find some place where I'm doing something or I'm owning something. And a lot of times I, I have, my family are the closest people to me and they, they get, it's, it's 99% of the time. It's not about them. It's about what's going on in me. That's right. But I, 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 prom- I give it to them. I give them my suffering and I give them my response. I don't lay down. It's not a laying down and walking into my weakness that is in my nature. It is a taking hold of something to try to prevent anybody from knowing that there's weakness. So what if our minds are transformed? We're in those moments where if I say what I'm thinking and if I react with impulses the way that would be destructive and set my family back, what if... What if that moment I instantly choose to go before the throne of grace in my time of need? Hebrews 4 says, in your time of need, go before him and he will extend grace and mercy to help you. What if in that moment it's, God, I can't love my wife right now, but love her through me. I can't show my child kindness, mercy, forgiveness, a gentle spirit, but you live your life through me. I want to just abide in you in this moment. Maybe I need a time out to go cool off my flesh and invite the spirit of God to infuse me so I can go back in and love. Yeah. You have to, because if you're feeling it, you're already feeling beat down. Right. Right. Some, for some reason, you're not going to then expose yourself to be more beat down. Yes. It's that feels like the opposite of what I should do. I feel terrible. I got to take control. Not, I feel terrible. Let me, let me take a deep breath within the context of what's going on in my heart. Let me surrender to the father, to the father. Yeah. We want our children to see the father, God as a father figure. Mm. But in order for us to do that, we want our children to see God in us as their father, right? God is love. I think about 2 Corinthians 1, 3, the characteristic of God. He's the father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who will comfort us in our suffering. And, and it's really powerful to think about the, the, the we are his ambassador, we are, as fathers, ambassadors, we, we represent Father God and how we allow the Father and his love and his life to water the garden of our wives and our children's hearts and lives. And really, it, it's, it's, it's like Galatians 5. It's, it's like walk in the Spirit. And if you do that, you won't walk in the, in the flesh. But we have to stay in step with the Spirit. And it's this, this whole process, I think, where, where Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going to go away from 13 to 17. I'm, I'm going away, but I will send my Spirit who will be your comforter, who will lead you into truth, who will convict you of sin and, yeah. and lead you in righteousness. My Spirit's going to continually do a work. And I think as, as fathers, as dads, as, as men, even all of us in this room, learning to just abide is learning to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and the prompting of the Spirit so we can stay in step with the Spirit. It's not us, it's Him and us. It's not us, it's Him and us. And that, I think sometimes as believers we forget that. It's not me, it's Christ in me. That's my hope of glory, Colossians 1.27 isn't says that, that. I mean, isn't that that's such a simple concept? Yeah. The concept is simple. Yeah. Like, that's not hard to understand. But to live in that, to practice that, to abide why is Jesus talking to his disciples so specifically and beating the drum 
of obedience, obedience, abiding, abiding, stay in me as I am in the Father. Yes. You know, obey the will of God for you as I obey, as I obey the will of God for me, the will of my Father for me. I did not come to do my own will, but Him who sent me. It is your constant submission and laying down that is the mystery of full life. It and is. there is hope. There in, 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 as we close, for all of us, we hit these seasons wh- where we get, we forget everything that you and I are talking about and we start grabbing at straws of some way to feel full, to grab hold of life that's not in Jesus. Because in order to do that, you have to submit. You have to acknowledge your weakness so that you can be strong in Him. And when we don't do that, we're not living in Him. He's not living through us. We're living in our flesh. But for those of us who are in that place, for those of us who do that, or those of us who are doing it right now, there's tremendous hope in the transformation. It is. And the transformation is simply one word. Abiding. Abide. Go back to the one who has loved you as he has been loved and then calls you. And this is the great mystery to me. Now you and I, of nothing that we have done, because we have been filled with the Spirit of God, you and I have the ability and the power and the strength to experience the height, depth, width of the love of God and pour that out on our wives and our children and everybody around us. I love the the bookend of that passage that when we know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, when we're filled to full measure with the fullness of God, like to the brim, as it were, the very next verse, and he's able to do exceedingly more, um, abundantly, immeasurably more more than I can ask or imagine according to his power at work in me. And we learn to live in that. Yeah. Right? And it's why people who come to us and they say, in relationship or in whatever their circumstances, I'm done with this. I'm done. Okay. Well, now you can start to find life. That's right. You're actually at the beginning of the potential for full life. What are you going to do right here? Are you going to give up and quit and walk away? Or are you going to press in to the Father? And I think a simple exercise for us all to think about this week would be just practicing Romans 12, 1 and 2. Yeah. Here's my body, my branch. I offer it to you as a living sacrifice. In view of God's mercy, his love for you, that he doesn't hold our sin against us. Offer yourselves to him as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. That's your act of worshiping him. And don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. We come back to have a transformed mind because it's then you can know his good, pleasing, perfect will. Be transformed so you can understand his love for you, the length, breadth, depth, height of his love. That you would understand that grace is a one-way street. We can't earn it, but it's his love and life gifted to us to do what we can't do in ourselves. Yeah. And it's a daily abiding that then over time, it's, you think about the love that just starts to fill us up. We learn to abide in the light, and that sweetness just infuses the, full life. the very core of that's who we are. That's the full life. Yes. That's sweetness. And that is, folks, that's what differentiates us from everybody else yes. in the world. 
This is it. This is the differentiator. The abiding Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's the difference every time, no matter who you are, no matter what your struggle is. Yes. It's the abiding. Can I pray for you? Father, I deeply pray, not just for the folks in this room or the folks that have heard us this morning in the first service or, or live streaming or any of that, I, not, but for me. I pray for me. God, would you please remind me continuously of my abiding in you and that that is where life is found. I have, there is no life for me other than what you offer me by your spirit in your grace. And I know that is my mature, that is the maturing process that I, the more I come to you, the more I come to your throne, the more that I lay down at your feet, the more that I give up trying to live out of my own ideas and my own flesh, the more life I will live. It's so against my flesh. But oh God, thank you for the spirit that dwells within us. I pray that we would grab a hold of that. In the name of Jesus, where all the power is given, we pray. Amen. Amen.